This episode is brought to you by the sneaky treat company Melbourne. Decadent sweet treats delivered to your door. Let your friends, family or clients know that you're thinking of them with a box of goodies and a personalised note to send along with your gift. TheSneakyTreatCo.com. You know you want to. Hi there and welcome to the Move Me podcast with me, Julie Reynolds. This episode, it is some new music. I caught up with one of Australia's most iconic frontmen, Ivor Davies from Icehouse. In this episode, you'll hear about which album's anniversary it is, happy 40th, what brand spanking new album has just been released and why you should jump in and get yourself a copy. I'll tell you now, Icehouse plays flowers. Sounds interesting, doesn't it? Hear more in a moment. And most people have heard Ivor was a very highly regarded oboe player, but it was not his first instrument of choice. You'll find out what unusual instrument choice had him debut on a brand new TV station as a wee small lad. Plus, you'll find out more about the days of flowers into Ice House, where it all began. Hello and welcome to the show, Ivor Davies from Ice House. Got some big news just released. Well, I'll let you tell us about it. What's been happening? Yeah, we did a show earlier this year. And in fact, we were lucky to be able to do that before everything shut down. Um, we got an invitation from the St Kilda Festival. Now, the St Kilda Festival, obviously on St Kilda Beach in Melbourne, was celebrating its 40th anniversary. And we are also, as you point out, uh, celebrating the 40th anniversary of our first album. And they reminded us that we we actually played at the very first St Kilda Festival as Flowers, um, the previous name of the band, 40 years ago. And so they said, we'd like you to play again, but we'd like you to play what you would have played 40 years ago, you know, the Flowers album and a few of the cover versions we did back then and so on. And we did that show. It was fantastic. It was a a real one-off, incredibly high-energy sort of show. And at the end of it, our front-of-house guy that we've been working with for 10 years, Richie, said, oh, by the way, I recorded all of that. And so we looked at each other and and thought, wow, this would be great to release as a live album because it's such a one-off show. So that's what it is. It's called Ice House Plays Flowers. A few extra cover versions in there with a bit of a surprise. There's a Sex Pistols song and a David Bowie song and a T-Rex song. So yeah, that's being released. Sounds like it'd be a bit of a surprise, but before you played the oboe, am I right in saying that you played the bagpipes? Oh yeah, (laughs) don't remind anybody of that. (laughs) There's a lot of rock cred playing the bagpipes. You could have ended up in ACDC on the back of a truck, whispering Jack did it. Well, it's a strange pairing, isn't it? I could be, you know, in St. Paul McCartney's band, you know, playing Malakon Tire. Exactly. Uh, Quite. thing, because I grew up in the country and, and as a very small boy, I, I was at a, witnessing a parade down the main street and I heard this very strange sound approaching and, of course, it was a local pipe band and I was absolutely mesmerised and I insisted with my parents that I learned how to play them and I did. In fact, I made my first television appearance on the brand new television station in Wagga Wagga. Um, I think I was, apart from the national anthem being played by the local army band, I was the very first live act on that television show. Wow. <laughs> so I suppose at the time the bagpipes didn't quite go with Sex Pistols and T-Rex, I did it. Yeah, well, it was a bit of an odd pairing. We did strange things anyway. We were kind of quite out of Sort of fashionably out of fashion, I guess. <laughs> what sort of things were you doing? What sort of things were inspiring you? Well, I guess I'd never been in a pub before, and the first time I was in a pub was actually when Flowers started playing in pubs. So it was a whole culture I didn't really kind of 
get, in, well, in one sense I didn't get it, in the other sense it was actually quite good to be a kind of outsider, I suppose. Because you'd spent time in orchestras, so it was going from the opera house to the local pub. How did that feel for you? Was there any fear of really getting right out of your comfort zone? Strangely enough, I don't think, look, there were certainly occasions where we had good cause to be anxious, I suppose, but part of us was kind of a bit cheeky, I suppose. And one of the reasons we called ourselves flowers was because it was exactly what not to call yourself if you were going into a pub full of drunken, uh, potentially aggressive (laughs) young people. (laughs) And so it was almost a kind of tacit act of defiance in a weird sort of way. So we were kind of aware, I guess. When you you did at the St Kilda Festival, Icehouse playing Flowers, obviously doing the same sort of show that you would have done at that time, was there any change to the music or were you pretty pretty true to what you had originally played? Oh, I think it was very true to what we played. In fact, we sort of went out of our way. We had a whole set of rehearsals really just for these this show because some of the songs we played that night I hadn't played for nearly 40 years, which is a long time. And they're pretty tricky, a lot of them. And certainly quite a slab of the crew had never even heard them before. Um, and we've been working with our crew for at least 10 years. Some some of them longer. Our tour management has been working with us since 1986. So I don't dare add up how many years that is. That is. But even he had not heard us play some of those songs. So it was a fairly intense night of concentration, but they were very, a lot of them are very hard and fast songs because we were in our very early 20s and that was the fashion of the time. And in terms of sheer physical commitment, I think I've never seen or heard the band kind of explode with that much energy. It was quite remarkable, really. Now, can you take us back to the early days? You're a boy in Wagga playing the bagpipes to then creating a band that has become not just Australian favourite sons, but one of our best exports. Where did that start for Flowers and then obviously going on to Ice House? Look, it was, uh, believe it or not, a couple of kind of accidents along the way. (laughs) I think completely naive as a sort of 11-year-old with my bagpipes and expected to sort of fit in to the city with the local pipe band and it just was a different vibe. It wasn't a country town anymore and I didn't feel kind of welcome in that environment and I, I was... You know, I had no friends and, you know, within four months was about to go to high school. And my first day at high school was kind of strange because it was a very big boys' school and we went to our first music class lesson and the music teacher said, well, boys, do we have any musicians among us? Put your hand up. And there was a, you know, there was a trumpet player and there was a pianist and there was something else fairly conventional. And it got to me and I said, bagpipe, sir. And uh, <laughs> he looked horrified. He just, you could see the blood draining out of his face and he... He was a bit lost for words for a minute and uh, said, right, okay, well, I think you should learn how to play something more sociable. My wife is an oboe teacher. We have a spare oboe in the storeroom. Turn up to my house after school on Thursday afternoon, which, you know, I was a fairly obedient um, schoolboy. You know, within what seemed to be only a couple of years, I won a scholarship to the conservatorium and my destiny seemed to be, you know, laid out in front of me. I was going to be a professional oboist. And in fact, I did play professionally and I was in the orchestra for the very first opera stage in this brand new Sydney Opera House. I was only 19 at the time. Goodness me. And so it was pretty kind of, as I say, laid out in front of me, my destiny. And then I was working in a professional orchestra and ever in the quest to become better and better and better at playing this 
incredibly temperamental instrument, I must say. I took my oboe to Sydney's leading wind woodwind repairer, and when I got it back, I couldn't get a note out of it. And it turned out something I would have liked to have known, but it was a handmade instrument made in Paris by a company who'd been doing that by hand for 150 years, and they're the only people that should ever have touched that instrument. And effectively, that woodwind repairer, that accident, ended 11 years of training. That was the end of me and the oboe. Um, Did it break your heart? It was quite devastating at the time. But on the other hand, I had that peculiar relationship with the oboe where in a weird way, it was almost a relief. I didn't know what I was going to do. In fact, I, I, had, I got a couple of cleaning jobs to keep paying the rent. and That was the only thing I could do. I wasn't trained for anything else. And it was during that kind of void of time that I met Keith Welch, and he, of course, you will know uh, as the uh, bass player and yep. co-founder of Flowers. So it was a set of accidents. I had no idea that I would end up playing in a band for fun, and I certainly had no idea that it would become a career, <laughs> no idea at all, and was sort of in disbelief most of the way, and certainly the early part of the band, I didn't really think anything would come of it or it'd ever make any money, and certainly it wouldn't last, and it's very odd to be talking to you 40 years later after that accidental history. I think I've been there for the whole of that 40 years. A former boyfriend bought the Ice House album, made us all listen to it on repeat, happily, uh, in his mum and dad's family room, and it was like he'd made the greatest living discovery. He was so into it. I think it was because it was such a different sound from an Australian band, and I'm sure there are other Aussie acts who would have been inspired by your sound. In Excess would be one band that comes to mind. Well, they, they did, in fact. I, I was aware, we were all kind of aware of each other in a weird sort of way. So I was aware, for example, of Midnight Oil. And we never got to, I'd never got to see them because we both operated out of the same very big pub in the Sydney's Northern Beaches called Royal Antler, and the Antler was a bit of an iconic place. But we kind of had a residency there on the weekends, and Midnight Oil had a residency on the weekends. But they were alternate weekends, so, you know, we, we never got, actually got, got to see each other play. We were aware of this young set of brothers that came over from Perth, and I think originally they called themselves the Farris Brothers, but in excess arrived, and by then we were playing lots of stuff ourselves. We were playing lots of very early Australian stuff. We were playing a lot of easy beats, and we were playing at least three songs by a, a 60s Australian band called The Loved Ones. Yeah. And I love those songs. I still love those songs. And the next thing we knew it, in excess had picked up one of those songs that we were playing called The Loved One, and they'd actually recorded it. I don't know what it was, whether it was Countdown or that it was we just had so many good bands. But us kids of the 80s, we just lived for the next thing that would come out from an Australian band. We'd hang out at the record stores waiting for the albums or cassettes and a bit later CDs. And we're a bit possessive too, I think. We'd be so happy that someone like our Ice House or whoever was going to make it big overseas. But we're also a bit shattered because we were so used to being able to go down to the local pub or something like that. We'd be able to just go and see you we'd be so used to it and then you were gone it was very strange for us too we felt we'd gone to another planet now i remember the first night actually arriving in london we went from sydney to perth to, to london in one long trip and a lot of our musical lives we kind of looked to london certainly possibly more than north america for all the influences and roots and the bands that we, you know, kind of grew up with and admired and played their songs as cover versions. And I felt, you know, we've arrived. We're in London. There's going to be tons of music around. And I remember Keith and I got uh, all the various music magazines that were over there, the New Musical Express and Melody Maker and whatever, that we'd been buying in Australia and kind of 
poring over and studying and you know there's this band Susie and the Banshees and there's this band The Damned and The Jam and The Clash and, and we looked at the back of the paper where the gig list was and there was nothing on and Keith and I looked at each other and went where, where did all this music come from all the pubs closed at 10 they were tiny you couldn't fit a band in them anyway we only at that point really realised that Australia was probably you know, the most active music scene in the world at that point. And it was quite a strange feeling. We felt a very long way away from, from home and the action, as it were. The advent of Michael Painter in, I think, was it 2011, something like that? He's brought a certain something to the, to the band too, hasn't he? It's like the kind of the puppy that you have in the band with way too much energy. Um, and he's highly entertaining in that respect, but he's, of course, an extraordinary musician. I, I can't really... I don't think you get a sense of him, uh, even with the brilliant stuff that he does with us in, during a show, but I, I don't think the crowd really ever gets a sense of how the depth of his talent in so many areas. He's a remarkable drummer, for example, incredible producer of recordings, can play, obviously, keyboards and guitar and, of course, has that remarkable voice. So it's fantastic to have his kind of youthful energy, as it were. Yeah, and it works It works really well together. I think the last time I saw, well, might have been the time before, but you're in Adelaide at Thibodeau Theatre and it was about three million degrees, but we all still had a great time. Oh, I remember that show very well. In fact, uh, the band and crew remember that show because um, for, for people who are listening to this, the air conditioning broke down and it was one of those very, very hot Adelaide days. You can only have those sorts of days in Adelaide. Already. Yeah, it was about 43 uh, or something. Yeah, it was incredibly hot. and uh, But we survived and it was a good show. It was a great show. Good. And I think it was because you guys weren't going anywhere and neither were we. We were just going to sit it out. We don't care how hot this gets. Just open up a door, give us some air and we're going to stay here. So hopefully very soon you'll be able to come out and tour again. You've got two albums. You've got Ice House Plays Flowers and of course there's the 40th anniversary of Ice House that we all want to hear again. So um, is there any plans or is it all still up in the air for everybody? Well, it's a bit up in the air, but not a day goes by without Keith and our agent and so on and the various promoters who are, you know, busting to get going that, you know, they're flinging around possible dates and plans and looking at borders and how to get the crew from Melbourne because most of our crew and half the band live in Melbourne yeah. when that, of course, has been an impossible situation. So, strangely enough, you know, our tour manager and Keith and, and the agent are sort of on the phone almost daily trying to make these plans and something will definitely come out of it as soon as possible. As I'm soon sure. as possible. Well, that will be fantastic because Ice House is definitely one of those bands that I've I've missed from not being able to see because we just took it for granted that you'll be out again and we'll be able to see you again and it'll be a fantastic show as it always is. And then suddenly everything uh, is, is on hiatus. What have you been doing? Have you been writing any new songs? No, you know, I've used this break to really do a whole lot of kind of maintenance. So as we speak, I've got a guitar lying in the floor in front of me and I've got one over with an incredible luthier that's a guitar repairer. I've got equipment on I'm waiting for. I've bought a new amplifier, which is not a new amplifier. It's actually, it's a 1982 vintage amplifier, the same as I probably would have used to record Great Southern Land on. Wow. Um, and that's actually travelling by cargo from France because they're so rare, these amplifiers. So I've been doing lots of weird stuff like that, but kind of reassembling myself in it's a way. It's probably your first holiday in 40 years. I don't know. I've still been incredibly busy. So who knows where all that comes from? Exactly. And you mentioned Great Southern Land, and I will let you go in a moment, um, Ivor Davies, if you've just joined us from Ice House. My most favourite scene of any movie ever 
is Young Einstein when it starts off and there's great southern land rolling over those Australian hills. It is, to me, one of the most iconic opening scenes I've ever seen in my entire life. When that was done, I just remember sort of getting the approach from Yahoo Sirius who said, I really want to use that song. And normally I would probably say no. Strangely enough, I'm kind of very protective, uh, yeah. especially of that song. But, you know, he went ahead and a lot of people have come to me over the years and commented on that particular sequence in the movie, which I must go back and have a look at. Thank you so much for your time, Ivor Davies. And where can everyone get this album? I'm going to play, you know, every single song of it right now because I'm inspired. But if anybody wants to sit at home and uh, sit around and recreate those days where can we get it uh, you can get it in all the streaming outlets there are obviously cds you can go online to order and i think probably a lot of people will want to know about this it's coming out as a double vinyl album. there you go that's what now, we want now they're going to be limited and they're they're beautifully made there's the mastering engineer has gone to a lot of trouble is we're actually they're manufactured in czechoslovakia or somewhere like that because this is one of the own few very good quality pressing plants left in the world and so as we speak they're steaming from the other side of the world in a cargo ship so I would be ordering those fairly soon because they're going to be a very limited edition. Go to Ice House online and find out information on that. Uh, You will indeed. And I think this couldn't have come at a better time to lift our spirits and make us start thinking about when we can go out and see you play live again too. So thank you very much Ivor. Okay brilliant. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. Thanks so much for listening. And did you know our producers, Audio Lemonade, have given us a whole page on their website, audiolemonade.com. Of course, we're on YouTube, we're on Spotify, we're on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, all the good ones, and we are housed at Wooshka. So thanks again for spending some time with me. And please, come do it again. Listener.